Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Day. Welcome to New Books in Military History. I am Boris Karpa, and we have with us today uh, Robin Bartlett, who is a man of many talents, and he is the author of Vietnam Combat, a Firefight and Writing History. And you know, as uh, you can see from the uh, from the title, he is he has uh, two talents, and he has combined both of them in this book. He's telling us about his, the book is about his, both his combat experience in Vietnam and his experience with the military history detachment also there, and I'm happy to have you with us today, Robin. Thank you, Boris. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, we are creatures of tradition. We are creatures of tradition here at the New Books Network. And for this reason, I would like to ask you a traditional question on the show. Of course, every book answers this question a little bit, but for our audience, it might still be useful. Can you tell us, you know, it's been since quite a while since the war in Vietnam has ended. What has brought you to write this book so many years since. Yes, it has been uh, a very long time since uh, the conclusion of the war. And interestingly, uh, right uh, coming up on uh, May 13, May 13 in Washington, D.C. is a major celebration of uh, for three days of the um, commemoration of the end of the Vietnam War after 50 years. But uh, in answer to your question, uh, I decided to write this book for a, a couple of reasons. Uh, one was the fact that uh, I had uh, had communications, had conversations with a number of Vietnam veterans, and in talking about our similar experiences as infantrymen. Um, I found that I had had some some very unusual experiences that they had not, and um, had some stories that they found particularly interesting. And so uh, I was encouraged by them and others uh, to write those stories down. And in fact, well, some of the stories are uh, fairly horrendous, and others are quite humorous. And so uh, each of these events, each of these stories has become a chapter in my book. And it took me a very long time to write the book. Uh, it took me the better part of about 10 years because I was raising a family and, and I didn't have a lot of uh, free time. And I had a job that took me on air, long airplane flights from coast to coast uh, and to Canada. And so that's when I wrote. I got my laptop out as long as it wasn't too busy, uh, too bumpy, and I wrote, uh, worked on a chapter. And um, I, I also found as I started to write um, that um, this became a, a bit of a catharsis for me as well. And um, the memories came back, the events came back in incredible detail, um, but not quite as horrific uh, for those that were horrific um, 
as they had originally been. So that that's kind of the background to your question. Thank you. And, you know, there is something unique about our audience is that because it's a, it's a new books network, uh, books are right in the title. And so many people, a disproportionate, statistically disproportionate amount of people in our audience are not only readers, but uh, some of them are working on their own books, some of them are considering uh, working on their own books in the future. And so for the sake of these persons, can you perhaps tell us about some of the biggest challenges you faced when writing this book and uh, how these challenges were overcome? Sure. And uh, I may have had a little bit of a leg up because uh, after the military, after my uh, uh, service, uh, and I spent six years uh, in the military, in the Army, um, I went to work in publishing. So it was in textbook publishing, but uh, and mostly in sales and marketing, but it did give me a good uh, introduction to publishing, and um, I learned a lot of lessons about uh, things to do and, and how to go about navigating a, a very complex process. Um, so one of the things that I found um, that was really kind of amazing to me is as I sat down to, to write and concentrated on telling these stories that the, your, your brain is just an amazing thing. And so much detail came back to me as I recalled these events. And, and these events occurred, you know, when I was writing maybe 20 years previously. But as I worked on these chapters, um, I, I tried to reconstruct the detail as much as possible. And my brain just helped me do that. Um, one of my favorite authors is Stephen King. And of course, he's a, a bit of a horror and science fiction writer, but he also wrote a wonderful book called On Writing. And every author should read that book. It's just a phenomenal um, title. And one of the things that he talks about in that book is, quote, falling into the computer. And, and what he means by that is you, you become so absorbed in what you are writing that you literally block out uh, all, your environment and you, you become one with your story. And that happened to me a number of times on these long airplane flights. And, and I could recall the stories that I was writing about in incredible detail. I could see the colors. I, I, I was sweating. I remembered the anxiety and the fear uh, I could even smell the smells. There were a couple of times when I could smell the smells, which was kind of incredible. I've read your book, so this is not always a good thing. <laughs> right. So um, as far as the publishing process is concerned, I was fortunate to find a really good um, proofreader who was a college classmate of mine uh, a woman, and I wanted someone who didn't have a military background to really help me perfect the manuscript. And I would say that's perhaps job one for any author, is to make sure that you have a very, very clean manuscript before you submit it to publication. And this wonderful lady, uh, a college classmate of mine, found every misplaced comma, every misspelled word, and asked a whole bunch of WTF questions 
that helped me to rewrite some of the military jargon and translate it, uh, translate the copy into uh, communication that could be understood by the general reader. So that was extremely, I think, helpful. And, and in the fourth proof that we reviewed and submitted to the to the uh, publisher, there were only four corrections. So, and and I've been keeping track since the book was published of every error um, that that has been brought to my attention, typos, etc. And and we've only I've only had two, literally two, date errors uh, in the manuscript. So. That's one very important piece of advice that I would have for any author. So I would like to move on from that to something which is related. And um, I don't want to uh, appear that, that I am seeking out to flatter you or conversely to put anyone down. But I've read your book when I was preparing for the show. And the book is much... Mm, Better written, better structured, and a lot of a lot of times I read military memoirs by people who have been in combat, and they're not always the most technically proficient writers. Uh, some of these people just want to put uh, some of their experiences down. They're not always the most proficient writers, and you are. Your book is very well written. It's it's a much. Uh, uh, not only in terms of the fact that you're a dead talented writer, but it's also a cleaner structured book. And I've noticed that writing has played a big a big role in your life, even at the beginning of your military career. And until you talk about your service at Fort Benning when you're writing these reports. And of course, later when you are at the military history detachment, now, I'd, I'd like to ask, uh, do you think that this writing ability which you have, which um, clearly has played some role in your life early on, do you think that this has um, you know, the ability to communicate your thoughts in a clearer manner? Do you think that this has improved your ability to be um, a, a, also a wartime officer? Do you think this has also made an effect on your leadership ability? Uh, I, I think so. I was fortunate uh, in college uh, to have a college professor uh, um, who was uh, a hist uh, language and, and uh, literature professor who was a uh, who, who beat me up consistently for my freshman year. And uh, uh, even though I thought I had good uh, grammatical skills, uh, taught me that I did not. And um, Ultimately, I pursued a degree as in comparative literature, which is the study of uh, literature and um, and foreign language. Uh, and I had to write. That was uh, I, I had to read and I had to write. So that that sort of set the stage for me. Uh, and I've always felt very very comfortable and not intimidated by having to write uh, fairly long essays or communications, business communications. I've always had that skill. And in fact, um, when I first had my first military assignment, which was with the 82nd Airborne Division at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, uh, rather than uh, becoming a, a platoon leader, which, which probably would have been a better assignment for me ultimately because uh, of where I was headed, 
to Vietnam, but I was the battalion adjutant, which is the personnel officer. And I got that job because um, there was an open slot. They had no captain for that job, and I was a second lieutenant. But I told the battalion commander that I had this writing and communication skill, and he put me to the test. He made me, right on the spot, he made me uh, uh, type out a memo for him, and his advice was three paragraphs, short words, and and um, make it quick. So um, I sat down at the typewriter, followed the right format, and I got the job. So it, it's always been a skill for me. Um, I, I did a and and it's it's surfaced in in many ways. Uh, even th- even though I was an infantry officer, and led a um, an infantry platoon in Vietnam, um, that writing skill has always come in very very handy. I was always uh, tapped to write out uh, award recommendations, uh, and then my staff job, as you mentioned, uh, in Vietnam, an officer typically served. Uh, six months in the field as a as a commander, and then um, transitioned to a staff job. And originally, I was going to be the battalion adjutant for my unit. And all of a sudden, I received uh, uh, orders tra- telling me to go for an interview with the 14th MHD. Didn't know what the 14th MHD was. Uh, at bata- at division headquarters, and I went there and found out that this was the 14th Military History Detachment. I interviewed for the job, and uh, was was accepted uh, to be the division historian. And my job uh, was a quarterly after action report, uh, compiling all of the documents and editing all of the documents from the various different battalions in the division. But even more important, my role was to go out after a major battle as directed by the division operations officer, that's the G3, um, and uh, interview the, the soldiers and the officers who remained after a major contact and write up the battle, piece it together. Uh, and often my reports were the first real uh, uh, recollection or understanding of what went what went on during this major engagement. Uh, and sometimes many, and not sometimes, but often these engagements occurred at night. So it was extremely difficult to understand what happened. And it took a lot of investigation and careful analysis to try to uh, piece together the various parts of this puzzle and, and some of the battles would occur over two days, three days, um, and, and you know, you get conflicting reports and have to kind of sift through the information to figure it out. But um, I, I enjoyed that challenge, and I think I wrote up a number of, uh, of, of interesting battle reports as a result. Wow. And this is, a, this is very interesting because I'm just going to turn what I've just asked. I'm going to turn the question a bit around because you spent also six months as a platoon leader in Vietnam and you've had a very, very intense combat experience. We're not going to go over the details here, but it's 
it's worth saying due to the nature of the duties which you had, you had a lot of uh, dangerous incidents which you were in over this brief uh, period. I've read some memoirs of people who had a very long combat career and they've not had as many of these incidents happen to them. And I'd like to ask, when you later transitioned into your role with AMHD, does the fact that you have seen the elephant, so to speak, that you have experienced uh, tactical leadership yourself, did it help you with investigating these battles, with knowing which questions to ask, which testimonies to take seriously, and which ones maybe to take more skeptically? Did, 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 if previously we asked uh, if your writing helped you with your leadership, I'm now asking if your combat leadership record has helped you with your writing. Well, I, I, I think the answer to that question is uh, it, it was required because the first question any officer or, or senior non-commissioned officer that I interviewed, the first question they would ask me was, what is your, what is your combat experience? What is your uh, experience uh, within the division that allows you to understand uh, what it was like to be in a night uh, ambush or to be in a night combat situation or to have men wounded in combat and, um, you know, have have men who needed uh, uh, medical attention and could not be provided because of uh, intense fire. Uh, and, and because I had had that experience and I had been in firefights and had been in ambushes, um, and counter ambushes, um, I, I could communicate with these people and they had a higher level of respect for the work I was trying to do. I also was trying, I also made sure that I accurately reported what they had to say um, and, and tried very hard to give a balanced uh, presentation of um the, the the scope of the battle. And sometimes that was extremely difficult to do. The North Vietnamese and the Viet Cong had a, uh, were very successful night fighters. And as I mentioned before, many of these major engagements occurred at night. And my division, the 1st Cavalry Division, was always had superior firepower to um, any enemy uh, attack. However, at, at nighttime, they owned the night. They were they were skilled night fighters, and they had sappers who uh, would be somehow capable of penetrating our defenses and uh, throwing satchel charges into command bunkers, destroying them, um, and and creating havoc. So that uh, night firefights were always. Um, extremely difficult to understand what was going on. Plus, they were extremely fearful. And if you've been in one or two, um, you have a much better understanding and you can communicate with uh, these soldiers that I was trying to interview and reconstruct uh, the battle. Now, some of the officers at the senior level refused to talk to me because often these engagements um, ended in a lot of American casualties. And the North Vietnamese and the, and the Viet Cong had a capability of taking all their dead and wounded with them. And, and in Vietnam, the measure of every battle was body count. And when the North Vietnamese took their 
took their dead and wounded with them, all that we were left with was blood trails. So uh, it was very difficult to document that we had um, a superior uh, result as a reason, you know, especially if we lost a lot of American casualties and, and wounded. Some of these battles did, in fact, result in significant American casualties. And when you couldn't, when you couldn't do a enemy body count, it presented the commanders uh, with a with a very challenging situation. And often they refused to talk to me, and provide uh, their side of the story. So I had to to kind of piece it together from lower levels, the the company level, the company commander, uh, squad leaders, platoon leaders, if they were still uh, on the scene and had not been wounded. I hope that answers your question. Yes, actually it does. It answers my question excellently. Now, I my next question, you know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month in the United States. And I appreciate that you yourself have had some difficulties. You had some difficulties with what's called post-traumatic stress disorder. And um, there's a lot of controversy even today, even among people who are experts in this field, about what is the nature of this disorder, how it is caused. There are different theories if, if it is the stress of being in danger. Uh, or the stress of having to do some of these terrible things, and I'm I'm not going to repeat the details which are in your book for the show. I'm going I'm going to avoid being lurid for luridity's sake. But I want to ask: Do you have a personal theory about the nature of this disorder and what causes it, and perhaps what the military could do better to protect uh, to uh, to protect servicemen? To, or maybe to help them. Yeah, I'm. I'm the. I'm presently the president of the New York, New Jersey chapter of the First Cavalry Division, and we have about uh, oh 30, 35 members who come to quarterly meetings. And we recently had um, a division um, MD and psychiatrist. Um, from the Army War College at Carlisle Barracks come and address our group. And he had actually been with the 1st Cav, uh, not in Vietnam, he's a younger a colonel, full colonel, but in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. And his um, expertise was in PTSD and TBI, traumatic brain injury. He talked to us at length about um, working with some of these soldiers who experienced uh, you know, really uh, severe trauma as a result of uh, bombings and explosions and IEDs, uh, unexploded ordnance, that sort of thing. And um, I, I think that the, the, the situation is very, very similar, although more recently in battles more recently, I think it, the enemy has learned the greater facility in uh, being able to explode these IEDs and create greater havoc and, and fear uh, among the troops. But when, when I came back to the United States after my tour in Vietnam, uh, I was still in the military. So I was somewhat insulated and didn't have a lot of the same 
experiences that many other soldiers had because they took off their uniforms and they went right back into civilian life. That, that was not the case for me. I remained in the military, so I was in that community. And even though it was really not talked about, I did not uh, experience um, the, the PTSD, the same kind of PTSD that I think firefighters and uh, EMS people and police officers and you know uh, trauma physicians in hospitals experience. Um, I had those experiences, but I didn't have the flashbacks and the night sweats and the dreams until about 20 years after the fact. Uh, and, and then for some strange reason, some of those experience I had I had really locked uh, uh, locked away those more horrific experiences in the back of my brain. I called it my titanium steel trunk at the back of my brain. And I locked all those experiences away and I didn't talk about them, didn't deal with them. I just it, it refused to uh, allow them to affect my life. But after about 20 years, they really started to uh, kind of um, drip out of that titanium steel trunk. And I had to deal with not nightmares so much, but daydreams. And um, I, I was fortunate to uh, have a good friend who was a psychiatrist who sat me down and talked with me at length, gave me some simple exercises uh, to practice. And um, the, the events did not go away. But, um, and I could actually still recall them to this day, they, they never disappear, but they do get softer and less intense and livable. You're able to, to conduct your life without having them impact you. Um, I've also had a wonderful wife who has uh, kicked me in the butt on regular occasions to help me overcome some of those uh, more difficult times, uh, but in to to I I have noticed uh, most recently that the VA is spending more giving more attention and more time and greater um, acknowledgement uh, of PTSD and also Agent Orange, which is which is very good to hear and good to see that the VA is finally starting to recognize this. Not so much for the for the Vietnam veterans, but for all veterans, because uh, I think that that situation, especially with the more recent wars that we've uh, that young men have uh, been involved with, um, that, that that is not a problem which is going to fade away. And the age old uh, philosophy of just uh, gut it out and um, it didn't didn't happen. Uh, you're if you're a man, you can just deal with it. Um, that that doesn't work. Uh, that really doesn't work. And I think it's the cause for a lot of uh, unhappiness of uh, veterans who get out of the service and have to go back to living in uh, the real world. And I'm pleased to see that the VA um, is doing more about that and, and allowing greater, um, uh, giving greater attention to it and, and uh, Assistance, uh, both mental health assistance and uh, claim claim assistance. That that's pretty much what I what I had to say on that subject. So I'm I'm just going to you know 
to to just you know, you know you're right of course that there are you know there are of course today better support networks both in the military and groups like you yourself are a member of uh, for for veterans uh, and so I do think that things have improved a lot since uh, previous years we have a better understanding of how to support uh, people who are having these problems. But I would like to ask, you know, there are, you know, there's some of our listeners before because it has a military history show and some of them are veterans. Some of them might be wanting to, you know, it's often recommended, you know, or it's sometimes said to be helpful medically to write down your experiences. Some people want to write their experiences down for other reasons. Do you have any advice, either on the mental health front or on the writing front, for um, your fellow veterans who might be listening to us now? Well, um, I'll give you an example. I have uh, about 30% hearing loss in one ear and 20% in the other ear. And it took me uh, over two years to file a claim and um, finally be examined uh, by a civilian audiologist. And um, I also had uh, tinnitus, which is the ringing in your ears. And after two years, I was finally given a 10% um, claim. It uh, uh, <laughs> reimburses me about $165 a month um, which I take to uh, um, take my wife out to dinner once a month in celebration. Um, but the VA does uh, has provided me with with um, state of the art hearing aids, and uh, that that has helped me tremendously. And what I've seen recently from uh, the VA is an improved um, claiming process. Um, and, and somewhat uh, speeded up over what uh, what has been the case over the last 30 or 40 years. Uh, if you weren't willing to uh, continue to uh, claim and reclaim over a period of five, six, seven years or more, uh, it was just a case of they'll wear you down and make you go away. Um, I, I've seen... I, be, I think I have seen begun to see some some improvement and some change, and it, it varies from state to state and VA to VA. I've been to some VAs, uh, VA hospitals that are are atrocious, and then there are some others. Um, here in in New Jersey, there's one in particular that is particularly good, but it's a it's an hour's drive from where I live, so. Trying to get care is greatly dependent upon the location of these services. And as far as writing is concerned, um, anybody who decides that they want to write uh, a memoir or a fictional account, um, it, it is very, very difficult uh, to get published by a commercial publisher. Uh, and, and that's one of the reasons why self-publishing has become such a very popular thing. But if you go into writing a book with the thought of wanting to earn money, um, then you're going into it for the, for the absolutely wrong reasons, because it is so competitive today. 
primarily because so many people are able to self-publish. Um, it's not only an expensive problem. If it's easy for you to do it, it's easy for everybody else. And then you can get, you're, you're competing with all of the other people who are doing the same thing as you are. Sure. Sure. I mean, there's 2,000 more than, I'm sorry, it's about 4,000 new books published every year. So it's uh, it's very, very competitive to uh, to try and uh, get attention, especially in bookstores, Barnes & Noble. They're, they're only interested in uh, authors who have published two and three books before and from the big publishers. So it's a very expensive proposition. You're going to be looking at spending at least $10,000 to self-publish. Uh, I was fortunate to find a commercial publisher and a really good, uh, a wonderful um, uh, editor and publisher did a wonderful job on the cover, great job in designing it. And um, but I have had to pick up the slack as far as marketing and promotion is concerned. Uh, and and uh, if you think writing the book is the hard hard part, marketing and promoting it after the fact is is doubly difficult. Your job does not end upon receipt of the published book; it just begins. This is, of course, uh, of course, all of this is true. But I'd like to zoom in on something slightly different, and it is, you know, many people say that there is a benefit, a psychological benefit, to writing down your experiences, to have them narrated, to narrate them in a formal, written way. Do you, is this something which you, which has been true for you? Is this something which you recommend to others? Well, certainly there's been a lot of, um, you know, good ego um, benefits to me personally from uh, various different uh, reviewers who have uh, reviewed my book and said wonderful things about it. I've been very fortunate to have had um, a number of advanced reviews from uh, extremely well-known military and civilian authorities and nonprofit uh, people, some actors, um, a couple of women. And um, uh, uh, th that's, you know, wonderful for my, my ego. But I must admit, it, is not a, it has not been an easy task. Uh, it, it, is, it is a very challenging thing uh, to, to do. Uh, and, um, you know, as I mentioned before, it took me more than 10 years uh, to get it all down and then another two years to really w work, rewrite and work through and make it... Um, make it as perfect as I possibly could. So it, 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 you really have to be committed, has to become a bucket list item for you. Um, and um, it's been, you know, I've, I've had many, many moments of, of gratification and received many compliments. I'm, I'm extremely pleased with the reviews I've received. Amazon has a nice long list of uh uh, of reviews, both my advanced reviews from extremely well-known people, and also just those who bought my book and said some great things about it. But in retrospect, it's a lot of work. So you have to, I think uh, my advice to anybody who wants to write their story is be committed, 100% committed. And if you're not, eh, it, it, it is not an easy task. So uh, from this, I would like to, you know, as I said, we are creatures of tradition. We start with such a question which is traditional for our show, and we also 
we also conclude with a traditional question. Because our uh, because it's a new books network, it's about books, it's about writing, but it's also about reading. And so I'd like to ask, can you tell us about the books which you are reading right now, about you know your personal reader's journey? Maybe is there something you'd like to recommend to us? Well, I, I don't have a lot of time to read, but I do listen uh, extensively to um, audiobooks. Um, I probably go through uh, one a week, and uh, I've just finished um, a, a wonderful series uh, on the border by Don Winslow. He has a series of three books uh, that are wonderful uh, action stories, and th this is a man who knows the drug industry in great uh, intimacy and detail on both sides of the border. So, if you are if you if you want to understand uh, why America is uh, is inundated with um, uh, heroin and fentanyl and crack cocaine and why we can't uh, combat the, the border activity, um, read his three books and um, be prepared for quite a roller coaster ride. He, he's done a marvelous job. The most recent one is called On the Border and um, I, uh, th he has a, three, a trilogy, three, three volumes, and they're not short reads. They're long, long books, but incredible detail, extremely well-written um, uh, and knowledgeable. This is a man who knows his business uh, at all levels of the political spectrum, too. That's, that, those are my, my f most recent and my, some of my favorite books. So... I'd like to I'd like to thank you for being with us today, Robin. And um, if you ever, of course, write another book, and I suspect you will, because that's how books are. You're always welcome on our show again. Thank you very much. I, I if I do write another book, it's going to be a fictional account, because uh, trying to uh, piece together all of the details and be as accurate as possible, and then having to deal with permissions and photographs and all that sort of thing, uh, it, it has been a real challenge. But um, I would encourage anyone interested to come to my website, which is www.robinbartlettauthor.com, and uh, you'll see a tremendous amount of information about uh, myself, my book, um, videos, uh, all of the things that you need to do to, uh, to promote a book. Just for the sake of our readers, I'm going to say that that's Robin Bartlett with two T's. It's robinbartlettauthor.com. And again, I thank you for being with us today, Robin. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.